Hi guys, Luke and Aiden from the Line and Link podcast here to give you a heads up. Our podcast covers a range of topics that some people can find confronting. Line and Link are ripping the covers off of mental health by initiating raw, unscripted and honest conversations with relatable guests who are willing to show vulnerability in talking about their mental health journeys. Here at Line and Length, we have a vision for a world where the stigma around mental health conversations no longer exists. With this in mind, it's important to look after your own lid. So if you may be struggling or feeling a bit flat, we highly recommend reaching out to the professionals like your regular GP, Lifeline or Beyond Blue. Now, on to the latest episode of the Line and Length podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season two, episode two of the Line and Length podcast. I'm your host, Aiden. Joined here by regular Kells. How are you today, mate? I'm good, Aiden, mate. Very good. Uh, and you've got some news for us as well. We've got uh, returning returning sponsors, I think. Uh, yeah, I better touch on our corporate partners, uh, Hello Services, Plumbing and Electrical. Uh, they're our major corporate partner. They're based out of Sydney. Uh, Rod Shipway and the guys and girls there can sort you out with your plumbing um, and electrical needs. And, you know, Hello Services Financial Contribution, that's um, allowed us to fund uh, line and length members through mental health first aid training. That's why we do what we do. So thank you to Hello Services Plumbing. Thanks very much to Hello Services Plumbing. And today's special guest, Tom Hudson. How are you today, mate? Good, fellas. Thanks for having me. Mate, we'll kick off with the, with the sort of usual question we start everything with. Uh, who is Tom Hudson? Yeah, so 30-year-old guy, um, currently living in Sydney, grew up here as well, um, sort of just, you know, very fortunate. Um, the eldest of three, three kids uh, from a supportive family, currently working um, as a doctor up at a sort of major hospital um, in Sydney. Um, previously did paramedics where I studied out at Bathurst where I met you lovely fellas. Um, so that's about it. Have a lovely girlfriend. Um, it's also a doctor who I met at work. So yeah. Mate, were you working as a doctor through the pandemic or were you a paramedic then? No, I was working as a doctor. So I started in the hospitals January of 2020. Um, I was pandemic in March. So had sort of a couple of months sort of pandemic free and then um yeah it's all i've really known haven't really worked in the hospital outside of it what, so, what was that what was that like just basically being thrown right into the deep end in the middle of a global pandemic as a as a brand new doctor um i think it's always about like the perspective of like what you know right like didn't really know any different so it was look it, was, it had its challenges obviously but i think you know, in the sort of like perspective, you know, a global perspective, we we're probably pretty lucky here mm, in yeah. some other places around the world. So the biggest sort of issue was more just that, you know, people come in and because you've got this, you know, virus or constellation of symptoms, you get treated as, you know, a potential COVID case. And the main thing to do is obviously isolate, like we've all been doing at home, but the hospitals just aren't built to sort of individually isolate hundreds of people. Yeah. So it's more just like the setup, you know, when it was not too many patients, they try and find single rooms. And then it was just them having to sort of like almost jerry-rig the hospital and then turn whole wards into like one big isolation sort of area. So it was a lot of like organisational stuff and sort of still what we're seeing now, a lot of staff 
you know, getting COVID, becoming close contacts. It's sort of, it's more, a, more like a workforce shortage issue at the moment. Um, but yeah, I don't know, sort of the saddest thing probably through all of it was just um, no visitors. It's almost been, it was almost like a year and a half, almost two years of no visitors in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I think that was probably the hardest thing for most of the patients and the families. There's probably a lot more calling families and updating them and talking to them than what probably previously have done. Mm. What, what was that like from a, you know, from a mental standpoint, you know, yeah. you've, you've just come out of uni, you've had what, three months yeah. uh, mm. of, of sort of learning the ropes and then bam, you've got to deal with one of the most hectic situations that has happened this generation so far. Yeah, no, it's, it was, it was interesting. I think, I think, I think having a sort of like a lot of the doctors that come out into the workforce in Australia, especially when you're quite junior, sort of roughly split up as either like postgraduate, um, you've either done like medicine postgrad, so you've had to do a degree beforehand, or you've gone and done an undergrad and gone straight out of school. So a lot of the undergrad doctors going into the workforce are probably in their early 20s, you know, 23, 24, whereas I was 28, 29. I think having worked like on road as an AMO beforehand probably prepared me like a little bit better. It wasn't my first time working full time, doing shift work, sort of dealing with all this sort of stuff. Um, I also try to look at the bigger picture as well, like, you know, when we were going to work, most people were sort of locked up at home, not able to leave, whereas I still had almost, you know, it was almost a bit of a luxury. I still had a bit of a routine to go up, leave the house, walk to work, come home. Um, so in some ways, you know, I think it may have been easier for me than other people that were all of a sudden working at home and not allowed to leave. But it was tough. But again, like I said, it was sort of didn't really know anything different. Luckily, my housemates at the time, one of them was one of my best mates from uni, was also a doctor at the same hospital. So, you know, we'd come home, chat, debrief. My partner as well was sort of in the same boat. So I think that definitely helped, having people to talk about it too and sort of like unload and have this shared experience probably helped a lot. You said said that you're you're the eldest of three. what what was your family like when you were sort of on the front line of the pandemic? Were they concerned about you? Did that play into your your state of mind? Um, not too much. I guess the biggest, I think one of the things like I noticed a lot of the people, like the staff of the hospital worrying about, especially, you know, people sort of older than us that had families that would be going home to their families every day. Before everyone was vaccinated and was still sort of figuring out sort of, you know, working out more about the virus, a lot of people were worried about taking it home to their families. You know, mm. if they had sort of, you know, elderly partners or young kids, I think that was a sort of quite a big, um, a big sort of burden of stress for them. Um, so it was probably, you know, living, you know, not living with my family, um, living with other people that were sort of like my age, pretty fit, definitely made it a lot easier. I think they were like naturally worried, but... You know, we're lucky here. Like, we've got all the PPA, you've got all the masks, gloves, gowns. You sort of do everything to um to take, you know, as good a care of yourself as you can. And, you know, in the scheme of things, we're sort of, you know, in a healthy age bracket, you're probably less vulnerable than other people. So, yeah, 
they were worried, but I think not too worried. I tried to sort of you know, play down those, play down those fears at the start. And now everyone's got it. And we're all sort of, all sort of fine. So yeah, it's just part of the course now, really. Mate, you said you said there um, you've got to take care of yourself. What is it that you do to, or you did to take care of yourself during the pandemic when you when we couldn't really go outside and do anything? Yeah, I think um, sort of the main main thing like during the pandemic was again a big one for me is routine, which luckily I got to keep. You know, having sort of set shifts, walking to work. Um, come back, hang out with my housemates, um, hang out with my partner, just try and try and keep up the things that I could. Me and my, I got really sort of close with my mates that I went to school with. We tried to do, we tried to do a wine tasting. We all had the same six bottles of wine delivered to our houses. We tried to do like a weekly wine tasting, which yeah. went out of the window pretty quick. A couple of guys just sort of drank all of it in <laughs> the week. But it was sort of yeah. nice that like, you know, we'd all catch up on Skype and try and keep as much, um, as much normality as we could. Um, having started a new job as well, I think I mentioned before, there was a lot of you know, venting slash debriefing that was going on in our house. So just, yeah, I think talking about stuff that bothered, like that was bothering me, you know, not bottling things up, trying to keep a bit of as best of a routine as I could. Um, quite quite an avid golfer at the moment. It's sort of been my last- Hi, mate. Okay. My yeah. last- I've taken up and most of the golf courses were open during the pandemic um which was quite nice i sort of lived in a bit of a when you could only um i think go out in your local council area i think there's like i don't know there's half a dozen golf courses in my lga so that was lucky that was sort of my vice during covid mm. that i could hello i'm gonna um change the narrative uh this podcast so far i'm gonna uh draw it to um line and length and yeah. two things that you've specifically said at mm. um, a few of the line and length events that we've held and two points that I've always, that have always stuck with me that you've said is that, yeah. you know, your brain gets sick and it's like any other body part and it, and it can heal. Yeah. And also um, the importance of seeing a regular GP that yeah. you have a relationship with. Um, can I get you to elaborate on those two things? Because like I said, you've spoke about them at our events and then they stuck with me probably yeah. because they're coming from a doctor and I'm like, yeah. Uh, yeah. but, but it, it has truly stuck with me. And that would have been maybe three years ago now that you said that it's yeah. still with me today. I think more, probably four. Yeah. This, year, this year would have been line on like four, wouldn't it have been? Or, or five? It's been, it's been a few. Uh, it, it, it breaks my heart. The ones that we've had to uh, postpone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And look, don't like, don't take any of this as medical advice. This is so not the area of medicine that I want to go into, sort of, you know, mental health or psych. But I think just sort of from a general perspective and looking at, you know, seeing a lot of sick people every day, the mental health, particularly in like young persons, you know, we're not really used to having sort of chronic health conditions. You see the elderly people, they can rattle off, you know, I've got a high blood pressure, high cholesterol asthma, all this sort of stuff. And mental health like those is just, it's another diagnosis. It can be a a chronic health condition that is treatable. You can have acute flare-ups. And I think it's just something that, you know, if you do, if you do deal with mental health, you know, you don't need to sort of, don't need to be ashamed about it. Just realize that like anything else, it's, it's a health condition that 
you know, it can be treated. Um, yeah. Good days and your bad days, and sort of the way the health system in Australia is set up, a lot of that is probably done by done by your GP. A lot of people our age probably aren't used to having a regular GP because you don't really need to go to the doctors all that much. Most people sort of go to you know free bulk bills, super clinics. So I think to have a regular GP is really important because if you are having sort of that acute flare in your mental health. Not that I've ever had to do it, but I can imagine, you know, it must be so much easier just to go into a GP that you know, knows your backstory, sort of knows where you are, um, and, you know, how you're going with things and say, look, having a bit of a tough time, and you don't have to rehash sort of all that stuff with the new GP every time, because that's going to be sort of their, you know, if they've never met you before, that's going to be their first. Mm -hmm. One of their first things to do is try and take a whole history. And you see GPs that, like, I know some of the other guys have mentioned it on this podcast, but. You know, the mental health plans, you can get through Medicare and stuff, like tendry psych sessions, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, it's important. Yeah, important to have a GP. I think a lot of, like, mental health things is also tied into your physical health as well. And we're all sort of getting into our 30s, Kelsa. You know, yeah. probably have a few more physical ailments popping up. <laughs> Mate, it's so good to hear you say, like, it, it can heal, you know. that I think yeah. that's the big... Um, the big mm message that we try and spread uh, spread that yes, your, your brain could be sick at that point in time but yep. there are things that you can do which will heal it just like any yeah. other part of your body yeah definitely definitely Love and that. there's so and there's so many ways you know it's medi medication um you know psychologists psychiatrists so many different therapies that you can sort of dive into and a lot of the time it's just i think finding the one that's best for you yeah um, you know, it's not always, you're not always going to get it on your first session, like walk into a psychiatrist, have a chat for an hour and be cured. I think it's something that you've got to work out. You've got to find find what works for you, which might take, yeah, right. might take you know, weeks, months or years. It just depends. Yeah. 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 I think that's a really important thing, Hutto. The important message is it's not going to be the first, you're not going to walk in and be cured after the first session. It does take a bit of time and a bit of effort to work through some of the yeah. issues that, that people yeah. might be going. Um, I think, I think it generally recommends like six or so sessions with the counselor before you start to sort of get results and see what's sort of going on with it. So yeah, great, great to hear that a doctor <laughs> says that yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. And as well, like, you know, you say like six or seven sessions, but it's also, you know, six or seven sessions with the right person as well. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. such a, thing i think you can't be too disheartened if you walk into a you know say a psychologist or even a gp for that matter and go that that guy was an absolute flog like, yeah you know you might need to try another one but yeah there's heaps of good gps and i think a lot of people now i think there's probably been a lot more of a focus on mental health and sort of self-care and a lot more i guess holistic sort of treatments and um approach to medicine uh to medicine especially you know at least when i was at uni so i think a lot of like young gps are very sort of conscious of it very understanding um can be quite good at dealing with mental health yeah Hado, uh what what would you recommend if you were gonna um build your own or help someone build their own sort of self-care routine yeah what what sort of things would you incorporate into that program yeah I think, I think first of all, like any sort of goal that you set yourself or, you know, plan you try and build, you've got to make it realistic. Like, 
you know, you listen to other people talk about and say, oh, I go to the gym three days a week or I walk 5Ks every day, do this and do that. You've, whatever you do, you've got to make sure it's achievable because if you don't achieve your plan or achieve your goals, I think it's something that can only be sometimes even, even more disheartening. So start, you know, if you're someone that doesn't have a self-care routine, start, start small. You know, start with something even just one day a week. You know, I'm going to go for a walk every whatever day of the week and then build up. I think you've just got to find, like we're saying, finding a GP, finding a, you know, psychologist or someone that works for you. You've just got to, I think, persevere and find a self-care routine that works for you and do stuff that you actually enjoy. Like, That's right. But enjoy like, it. If you don't like exercising, even though you hear all of these other people say, because I think like a lot of the guys, you know, on this podcast that are like exercise. Yeah. But I think just by virtue of our group of mates, it's sort of been on here. Everyone's fairly active. But if if exercise doesn't work for you, don't say you're going to go for a walk every week. So I think you just got to pick, just develop a self care routine that works for you. Just pick something you enjoy, and then just if you're not doing it enough, try and incorporate it more into your into your schedule. Like. Yeah. You know, the one that I was saying to, to my girlfriend was like every night I go to bed, sit on your phone. Like one of my next goals is like try and read a book before I go to bed. Yeah. But pretty small, but I know if I did that, I'd probably feel quite good about myself. And like that'd be like a massive goal. Um, one of the other things I like to do is always have something to look forward to, like on a weekend or just in the future. Yeah. Like, yeah bogged down like on at the moment i'm working in in an intensive care unit so we do like seven days on seven days off seven nights and we do like 12 13 hour shifts so by the end of end of a week on i'm just sort of floored but um i always try and have something to look forward to like on my days off and sort of get you through because otherwise you just get sort of stuck in this cycle i think of just flogging yourself at work and you know it's all pretty grim yeah. So, I can I completely agree with that with um having things to look forward to whether it's a weekend ahead or a weekend in, in a few months with your mates or a catch up that's something that I um always Charlie Newton he would vouch for me on this I'm always messaging him going you know what's next what, what are we yeah. looking forward to next yeah yeah 100% 100% so I think yeah setting setting achievable goals is probably the main thing like you see so many people set goals for themselves that you're like, mate, you never, it's like, no, no. knowing you for five years, you're not going to go for a run every day of the week. Like has it happened <laughs> before, and it's not going to happen next month. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Having, having advice, you know, golf, walking, surfing, whatever, reading books um, and trying to have a good group of friends as well. to like chat too. Yeah, be done. About, about nothing about nothing sometimes can be can be healthy like i come home from the pub with my mates and my girlfriend's like what did you talk about i'm like we literally spent about nothing for four hours <laughs> and how good was it <laughs> yeah very good yeah how uh, do you mentioned there you do 12 13 hour shifts is that the norm it's the norm in icu yeah yeah so that's a month. big shift <laughs> it is a big shift yeah so i started what time is it now it's i don't know half past five i start start work tonight at 7 30 um and then finish at 8 30 tomorrow yeah and then the day shifts are sort of uh day shifts are like eight to eight so yeah they're big shifts but you know in icu at least you get like we get a week off afterwards just sort of nice but yeah some of the yeah. guys what's on the wards probably do it harder like some of the surgeons get flogged they'll often do like seven like 6 30 to 6 30 monday to friday with like a two-day weekend it's, it's pretty grim 
Oh, wow. Is there a um, high burnout rate? Yeah, I think, I think there is. It might not be burnout as in like you completely, you know, quit the job and quit the career altogether. But yeah. one of the nice things about medicine is that because there's so many different specialties in different areas, I think you sort of find, you find that specialty or find that area of medicine you want to work in that yeah. suits like your personality and your lifestyle as well. So if you really struggle with like long days and getting slammed and <clears throat> not having much of a social life, like you're probably not going to pick some really intense surgical specialty. You might find something with like a better work-life balance. So, but yeah, people get, people get fairly over it, I think. Like a lot of people take, might take a year off, like in their third year out of um, third year after working. Like a locum yeah. for a year, I've got a mate doing it this year. It's just sort of essentially work, like sign up to an age, like almost like being a casual teacher. I imagine like you sign up to an agency, they find you work. Yeah. You say you want to work when you don't. Might fly to Darwin for, you know, three weeks, do some work, yeah. then go down to, you know, Broom, like wherever. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's pretty you, interesting. Do you get a lot of support in terms of like, it, because I, I can imagine that burnout yeah. is quite it can be can be quite high in some of those areas. Do you yeah. get a lot of support offered to you from from the places that you work with? Um, yes and yes and no. Probably, I think you know, like a lot of big organisations, there's always like you know they say like we'll support you, let us know, but I. Th- there's probably still like a lot of stigma with like mental health and if you're struggling, like I'm sure there'd be, and like it's been well-documented, especially with like junior doctors in sort of recent years, you know, there's like increased rates of like suicide, sadly, mental health, burnout. Um, and, you know, most people that have gone into this career are all sort of fairly high achievers to begin with. Um, just, you know, just by the nature of trying to get, trying to get into the uni degrees. So, yes, there, there, like, there is support. Um, I think people are probably hesitant to speak to, like, their seniors about it because they're the ones that are going to be giving you jobs. There's a lot of competition. Um, I think most people, if they're struggling, probably try and talk to their peers more than, more so than, you know, senior management or your supervisor, stuff like that. Um, you know, if you're struggling, like, of course, they'll give you time off and help you out. But I think there's probably a lot of hesitancy, sadly, for the junior doctors, especially, to sort of put their hands up and say that they're struggling. If you yeah. could fix it, Hado, what would you do? Um, oh God, man, there's been there's been people being paid way more than me that have been trying to fix this for years. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I think like hours is probably like probably a big yeah. one. Um yeah. That 12 to 13 hour shift, mate. <laughs> yeah, safe, safe working hours is, is massive. Yeah. The 13 hour shifts aren't too bad. It's like, like you're rostered on and like, like you know what you're getting yourself into. It's yeah. when standard work days, 8.30 to 5. It's when you're rostered on for that and you end up doing 6.30 to 6.30 um, that things start getting on top of you a bit. Yeah. I think one of the hardest things is there's a lot of like uncertain, like career uncertainty. Um, you know, everyone that wants to specialize, to specialize, you've got to get onto a training program. And there's sort of a lot of bottlenecks in that. And it can be quite stressful. People spend yeah. you know, three to five years sometimes in this like purgatory of 
you know, finishing their like internship and residency, waiting to go into training programs. And I think it probably causes a lot of a lot of emotional stress for people. Um, so I don't know, maybe trying like trying to address that training training programs ought to be a big, but then it all comes, you know, all those people then need jobs in the future as consultants, as bosses. So yeah, mate, it's it's hard. I I don't, I don't know, don't know what the answer is there. Yeah, I think, I think the best to do is just for everyone to sort of, you know try and look out for their mates really, um, and sort of be wary that the person sitting next to you might be struggling with something. Yeah, you just never know, do you? You never know what the person next to you is going through. No, it's all. Uh, it goes to that sort of line and length thing of like looking after your lid, and but also making sure that the guy next to you is doing the same. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. I think it's you know creating creating a culture I think where people can can talk about it and then you know you don't feel stigmatized not afraid I think that was the best thing about Lion Length was that you know everyone in that group knew that you could stand up you know that that first day and you know talk about your mental health or whatever and everyone was there to listen no one was going to judge I think that's the I think that's that's probably the you know the best thing like in the interim um, yeah. yeah. That's the uh, line and length vision, a world where the stigma around mental health no longer exists. That's why we that's do what we do. That's it. That's it. We're certainly walking, work, walking our way towards that. Um, I think, uh, I think Kels, now's the time we jump into our, uh, or your favourite segment, uh, the Triple H it, segment. It, it is my favourite. Um, Hutto, the Triple H what? question for you, mate. Uh, who's your hero? Um... Mate, after after two nights ago, Buddy Franklin, that that one, oh, that yeah, <laughs> yeah. twenty thousand people on, on the uh, on the SCG. Um, yeah, were you there? No, I wasn't. There. I was at work. Ah, like, what you do that then? When I got a break. <clears throat> um, <laughs> um uh, hero probably, and and it sounds very cliche and very corny, but mum and mum and dad probably yeah. of my heroes. I think getting older, like turned turned thirty one this year. I think the, you know the older you get, you sort of realise that you know you like how impressive your parents, um, how impressive your parents can be. I was sort of very fortunate, like I said before, like growing up in Sydney, had a very comfortable life, and sort of realising how hard that must have been to attain, you know, raise three kids, work, um, you know, pay for a house, and mm. sort of give all that support I think is very impressive because I'm sort of you know looking at trying to become more of an adult and you know adult better and mate, it's, it's bloody hard isn't it sometimes trying to save up for a house and yeah. work for time. I don't know how mom and dad did it so yeah. yeah everything that they sort of gave me and my siblings yeah, yeah. So, and dad. buddy Franklin and mum and dad <laughs> buddy Franklin mum and dad yeah <laughs> yeah very good um next question for you mate um what hardship have you faced um, that, you know, what hardship have you gone through that sort of defined who you are today? Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call it a hardship because I've, you know, admittedly I've had a very sort of, you know, privileged and cruisy life. Um, getting into medicine was probably one of the harder things that I've done. Um, probably one of the things that I was more proud about because you know, it took me took me a fair few cracks to get in. Like there's an entrance exam you have to sit. And I think I sat it like three or four times, applied 
applied to get into med two or three times as well, which isn't uncommon sort of, you know, that's a pretty, pretty common story you hear when you go to uni, but, you know, getting you know, a couple of rejection letters, like a couple of years in a row, like you interview, you don't get a spot, you sort of get knocked back. You kind of think that maybe it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was probably one of the harder things, but after, after working on road as Nambo, you know, you go traveling overseas, you realize just how lucky we are here that, yeah. you know, living in, living in like, you know, the beaches near Sydney, sort of having a full job, you realize life, life isn't too hard at the moment. Yeah. We, we definitely live in the, uh, in the lucky country. That's for sure. Um, had I rolling with that yep. theme there, what's the uh, highlight of your life today? Highlight of my life. Um, my girlfriend said, you know, meeting her, if I didn't say that, I was going to be in trouble. <laughs> What's yeah. her name, Hutto? What's her name? Danny. Danny's her name. Yeah. Yep. Um, I of my life. Um, getting, getting into med school, like I said, was definitely one of them. Um, just because, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was probably the first thing that I really had to actually work for. I was always sort of that guy that would just study for an exam the night before, do an assignment the night before. And sort of yeah. you know get through especially in bathurst um yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah not wrong i think, I think we all fall under that one don't we yeah oh man I, you know, apparently finishing the uh finishing the degree in three years was an achievement in itself um, <laughs> man a couple of things you know just sort of silly things like 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 stream of like the year after we left year after we left um bathurst finally won a flag playing uh playing subbies in sydney playing rugby that was pretty good um I hiked to Everest Base Camp a few years ago with a few sort of really good friends. That was pretty incredible. Yeah, um, right. yeah just little little okay. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I'd hardly, hardly say that they're little yeah, things we, there, Hutto. Yeah, can we touch on that, that base camp trek? <laughs> yeah, mate, it was, it was, it was great. A um, couple of people, uh, a few people that I sort of went to med school with and, and another girl um, sort of said like very off-the-cuff comment in first year, like, oh, you know, while we still have long holidays between uni, we should go and go and do something, go go do some traveling. And we sort of said, oh, let's go do something outdoors instead of just cruising around bars in Europe. So someone just sort of threw out like, oh, let's let's go to Nepal and hike up base, hike to base camp. And then found this like, found this tour with a guide and just yeah, hopped on a plane and went in November. So it was pretty cold, sort of coming into their winter. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was like a ten day hike. Um, sort of land in Kathmandu and then you fly to this tiny, tiny airport called Lukla, which if you Google is one of those sort of like most dangerous airports in the world. It's on the side of a cliff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or you take yeah. off, you drop off the cliff as well. Um, yeah. And then yeah, mate, you just start walking uphill for like, I think it was like six days up, four days down or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it was good. It was hard. Like the altitude, the altitude was tough. I think of yeah. the wider group that we were with, um, I think only thirty percent made it like up and back. Oh yeah, people like made it up and then just tapped out and sort of. I, don't know, I think a couple of people sort of, you know, faked altitude sickness, injury, yeah. trying to get down on their uh, on their travel insurance. Yeah. <laughs> so what did um what did that ten, what did that what did that ten day trek teach you? Or did you did you learn anything from it? Um. Yeah, mate. Onion onion soup is a good way to lose weight. <laughs> it's a 
I'll but take that on board. Onion soup, onion, onion water. Um, yeah. Pushing, like pushing through the pain barrier, like slowing it uphill after a while was tough. And like you'd sleep in these huts at night that were, you know, you sort of did this too. It's like, oh, we supply, you know, North Face minus, you know, temperature sleeping bags. And like most things in Asia, like they're all fake. They're filled with like, like fake feathers. So it was freezing cold. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I think just keeping sort of keeping that goal and yeah. I guess like the analogy to mental health is that like you had some pretty sort of shocking days. Like you might get up and it's snowing, raining and pretty grim, but just having that goal and knowing that there's something to look forward to on the other side, like base camps four days away, like it's going to be good. Um, and sort of keeping that perspective and like not getting bogged down in like the negatives of like the sort of immediate moment, I think. Yeah. Is, is a good lesson like for anything in life that you have yeah. you have your bad days and sort of like your shit times but you've got to look at the bigger picture and you know often there's something better to look forward to you just got to you know push through chat you know chat to your mates it all sort of whinge there like lie in bed just whinging about how cold it was but, but sort of went through it all together which made it a lot easier a lot yeah. more enjoyable sort of look back on it now and just laugh about it yeah lovely good man good man yeah. I can't. I can't imagine hiking to base camp. Ten, no. ten days of hiking uphill in the yeah. mountains to me sounds not that enjoyable, but also sounds incredibly rewarding at the same time. Mm. Oh, absolutely! It's one of like you know, it's one of those holidays where you do something, you sort of look back and go, "Oh, I actually, actually, yeah, actually, that. I mean, actually did something rather than yeah. I just blew a few grand drinking beer in <laughs> Europe." <laughs> I mean. They both sound pretty good. They do sound good. They both both have their time and place. Yes. Sure. Yes. Um, Hado, if you, I just want to kind of ask, if you were to recommend sort of three things for someone to do to improve their mental health or if they wanted to start working on their mental health, yep. uh, what were three things that you would recommend for them to do? Uh, first off is, I think like you, you've got to talk about it. Um, and you got to, turn, you know, who you talk about it to is sort of up for you. I think it's good to it's good to spread the burden. Um, sort of on a side note, if you're going to talk to someone, especially with, like when we're at Union Bathurst, like I did the RA job, like the residential advisor, and like sort of head res job. So I was sort of privy to a lot of people's, I guess, mental health struggles. And I also got to speak to quite a few people who would come to me and said, "Oh, look, my friends told me that." they're struggling with the mental health and I just, you know, don't know what to do. And they're, you know, either embarrassed, scared. Um, and I'm, I'm the only person that I've talked to. So I think if you're going to pick someone to talk to, you've got to keep in mind what that person's like, what their own mental health might be like and be cautious, not sort of just completely like unload onto one person and then swear them to secrecy because it can take, take a big burden on them. So you've got to talk about it. I think you've got to keep that in mind. So talk to a few people, talk, talk to, you know, three good friends, talk to family, find a good GP, um, you know, let them know, try and get a psychologist, whatever helps. Um, so that's probably one, talking. Um, two is we've sort of spoke about it, like find something to look after your lid, whatever that might be. Um, you know, like anything, you're not going to find the answer straight away it might take it might take some time um you know whether it be exercising reading books watching tv 
just find something that you you know that you get enjoy get enjoyment out of sort of you know break everything up um and the third would be and i sort of asked this to a couple of friends who i know sort of struggled with some mental health the third thing that they said um you know if they were asked to give someone advice was not to be too hard on yourself that you know when you're having those sort of bad days or sort of negative thoughts it's very easy just to you know to be to be really hard on yourself and you know everything you do is wrong um you know you can't succeed at anything they all said just just be kinder to yourself um you know, you're only human you know you might be going through a crap time but things are going to get better and you need to sort of cut yourself some slack um yeah love that Hutto. good advice mate it's really good Excellent, excellent advice. Um, just trying to think of my next question. Hado, what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Um, definitely, definitely take up the uh, university offer in Bathurst, that was for sure. Yeah. I probably I probably could have cut out the uh, the three years at UNSW before it doing science. That was sort of yeah. a bit of all right, a bit of a random time. Didn't really yeah. feel like that much then. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think be like be kind to yourself. Like just things things always work out. Like don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. Um, and sort of you know choose choose a really good group of mates. It's probably it's probably yeah. the big love that yeah that I myself um i remember like my dad sort of said to me when i was at school once and weirdly it stuck with me but he said um show me show me your friends and i'll tell you who you are i think the people that you hang out with has a massive impact on your life and if you hang out with you know hang out with rap bags hang out with people that are sort of always negative um yeah. you'll probably turn out that way so Find people that make you like, make you happy, that you enjoy spending time with, and will actually have, you know, like some value add in your life. I think it's a really important thing. Um, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, you know, no matter like what happens with work, partners, stuff like that. You know, your friends will always be like, you know, your good mates always be there. So it's important to have, you know, choose it. You know, and and it's one of those things like you know, you get to choose. Like you get to choose your friends. It's not like your family where you're sort of stuck with them. Um, yeah, yeah. choosing a group of mates. I think. Yeah. I think it's a Hado, my, my final question for you is, mate, what's yeah. this? Um, what's this whole experience taught you? You know, from the moment we um we asked you to come on the podcast, which <laughs> we've had to reschedule a few times due to a few different things. Uh, yeah. to to right now, about to wrap up, mate. What's yeah. it? Uh, what's it taught you? Um, I found the reflection process quite nice. Um, I think like it's it's made me reflect that. Fortunately, I've never really struggled a lot with my own mental health, um, but I have seen it a lot with other people through, you know, work and whatnot, especially. Um, I think I think you just need to be be kind to people. It's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, remember that no matter what someone looks like on the outside, you know, they might be the happiest guy in the room, but, you know, they might, he or she might be struggling with their mental health. So, you know, if I'm if I'm at work and about to snap at someone because you know you've been asked a dumb question for the hundredth time by the tenth hour of your shift, it's just you don't know what that person's going through. 
And I just think, you know, need, need to be kind to people. Um, yeah. So I think that's something I'll, I'll do when I go to work tonight. It's just, you know, remember, remember to be kind to people and, you know, don't, don't be afraid to talk about mental health and ask people how they're going. Yeah. yeah. yeah mate. Really solid advice that really solid. I agree. And I, I think that that's a really solid place to, to wrap the podcast up guys. Uh, Hado, thank you so much for, for coming Thanks, on and being a part of this. No, thank you. I can't, can't believe you guys made it to season two. Yeah, yeah mate. You would have thought, huge, mate. Huge congrats to you guys. Mate. Yeah. Turns yeah. out we got a lot of stuff to talk about, mate. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's uh, a big shout out to our uh, producer, Stewie, as well, mate. Um, we, we do love the work, and I believe Heath as well, who's been helping out um, with the podcast. Um, we really appreciate all the work that they do sort of behind the scenes to, to help the podcast sound as smooth as it always does. Uh, but that's it from us here at Line and Length. Um, if you if you want to be a part of the show, please give us a buzz or you know reach out to myself, Kells, or anyone else who's been a part of the podcast. They'll be able to get in touch with us and sort of you know let you tell your story uh, the way that you would like to. But uh, that's it from us here at Line and Length. In the meantime, take care, look after your lid, subscribe to the show, and look forward to the next episode of the Line and Length podcast.